I can tell you that I have never been as expectant for a series of meetings and for a time like this than I, than I have for this with you, and, and God has not disappointed. God has moved already, but I, I, don't, I don't believe he's done. I think there's more that he longs to do among us, and I think if God would get a hold of this room, he could change the world through this room, through those that are gathered, through you. And so my prayer is that he would get a hold of each one of us and have his way in this time. What do you want? It's a question we've been going with over the past three days. And I remember when I was a college senior, the question I wanted to know is, what's God's will for my life? I mean, what does God want from me? And instead of an answer to that question, I got some advice. When I graduated from college, there was an old retired chicken farmer, a wise old man that told me, Kevin... You'll be the same person five years from now as you are today, except for three things. The places you go, the people you meet, and the books you read. And I took that advice to heart, and I thought, well, you know what? I'm going to start reading some books. And so I started reading. I, I set out my goal was to read a chapter a day, and that's been, my, that's been the kind of thing I've done for the past 20 years and past 15 since I've graduated college. I've just... I wanted to read chapter a day. Consequently, I choose books with really short chapters. That's what I do. It helps me. Recently, I read a book that, uh, that marked me. In fact, there were six words in the book that just, that just marked me. Six words that I want to bring to you. The words are no reserves, no retreats, no regrets. Those six words come from the life of a man named William Borden. The book I read was called Borden of Yale. And I'm going to talk a little bit about his story as we move along through the teaching today. And if I had to whittle down those six words, I mean, take them down into just two words. If you wanted to reduce it to two words, I would choose the two words all in. I was having lunch with Cal. Cal was spiritually unresolved. He left his wife, made a mess of things at home, broken relationship with his son, successful, made a lot of money, but he was empty. And Cal sat across the table at Longhorn. And we were having this conversation. He asked me the question after quite a bit of dialogue. He said, what does God want? What does God want from me? And I looked at Cal. I said, he wants you to be all in. Now, Cal knew what I was talking about when I said that because Cal plays a lot of poker. Cal's good at poker. It's known that Cal wins. And, uh, and Cal knew exactly. But now I realize some of you, you don't know what I'm talking about because you've never played the game. And... Maybe you've seen it on ESPN, right? Yeah, you, some of you, you can identify. You know exactly what I'm talking about. I've always, well, I've always found it interesting that they play poker on ESPN. I've never quite thought of those guys as the epitome of athleticism. But um, <laughs> there comes a moment in the game. There comes a point in the game. Texas Hold'em. You've seen it. You know that there comes a moment in the game where, where the players are all have their chips in front of them and and then there's a player makes a decision in that moment to take all their chips, take everything, and push it to the center of the table. And that's when the drama starts. I mean, that's when it really kicks in. That's when it gets exciting because they're either going to win big or they're going to walk away empty-handed. And I realize it's a little bit of a risk to use the illustration of being all-in in poker chips at Indiana Wesleyan University. I understand that, but I'm taking a risk here today. I'm, I'm going I'm gonna, I'm gonna to continue. I'm going to say that I believe that illustration, that word picture of 
all in, of all chips to the center of the table, is the best word picture for what it means to be a follower of Jesus. To take all the chips of of your life and your dreams and your plans and your relationships and your resources, take everything you are and push them to the center of the table. New Testament has a word for being all in. The word's disciple. And the first thing that Jesus did was he took 12 and he called them to himself and he called them to leave everything behind and come and follow him. And he loved them like they'd never been loved before. And he showed them how to live. He taught them how to love like that. He spent three years of his life investing his life in them. And he took them on field trips. We're going to read about one of those today. We're going to read about one of those field trips. We're going to look at Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16. And as you're turning there, let me tell you. William Borden knew what it meant to be all in. In the early 1900s, William Borden, he, he was the heir to the, to the Borden legacy, to the Borden fortune. Think Borden milk. And so he had all of that coming to him. And as an as a 18-year-old, he, uh, he encountered Christ to his father's dismay. His dad wasn't a Christian. He began to follow Christ, and as a graduation gift for high school, they sent him around the world. And he went to Asia, and he went to Europe, and he went to the Middle East. And for the first time in his life, he encountered people who had never heard the gospel. And William Borden's heart was broken for those who didn't know Christ. And it was at that time that he opened up his Bible, and on the flyleaf of his Bible, he wrote the words in his Bible, no reserves. No reserves. Because he knew that God had called him to be a missionary. And he knew that he was going to push everything. He was going to say, no reserves. I'm going after this call. He, he made total commitment to Christ and total commitment to God's call in his life. He went all in. Matthew chapter 16. If you follow along. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? And they replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Now there's an important detail in this passage, and we can read right past it, but if you dig into it, you discover something quite interesting. And it has to do with the place that Jesus took them. Jesus took them on a short-term mission trip. He took them 26 miles. They walked 26 miles to get this place called Caesarea Philippi. Now, let me show you what was at Caesarea Philippi. Show you a picture. This is a picture of a cave there at Caesarea Philippi. It was a cave known as the Gates of Hades. Now, the people of Caesarea Philippi believed that this gate, that this place, this was the place where the spirits of the underworld came into our world. This is the place where there was, there was pagan worship, where they worshiped Greek gods there in this place. In fact, the Greek god Pan was worshiped there. And Pan was known as the author of confusion. And so, in fact, that's where in the, there was this, there's this little uh, Greek, uh, Greek god figure of Pan that was half man, half goat. He was a nasty little fella. Goats aren't known for their moral character. I mean, this is, so there's this goat there that's worshipped, and, and they worship. They believed that, that Pan was the god of fertility, and so he was worshipped with sexually perverse 
activity that would be forbidden and would be um, forsaken by any God-loving, God-fearing Israelite. And Jesus takes his disciples to this place. This is where he takes them on a mission trip. Takes them to Caesarea Philippi. Pan was known as the God of chaos. In fact, it's where we get the word pandemonium and the word panic. It's where pancakes were originated. I just made that up, but it is a... And so Jesus took the disciples. I'm sure he got, uh, you know, waivers and parental permission forms before he took them there, but he took them to this place. And it was there that he, he, he had this conversation with them. I mean, think about it. 26 miles to get to the most pagan, the most secular, sexually perverse, spiritually sideways place. It's like Mardi Gras and Las Vegas have a love child, and Jesus takes them there to that place on the planet. And he has this question for him. Who do you say that I am? It's the most important question you'll answer. Who do you say that I am? And Peter answers, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. In verse 17, Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my father in heaven. In other words, you cheated. God gave you the answer. That was funnier in my head than it was in the room, but... He says, and I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I'll build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Jesus said, I'm building my church. Whose church is it? No, it's not your, it's Jesus' church. It's Jesus' church. Jesus says, I'm building my church. Now listen, we got to be careful, because sometimes people speak negatively about the church. And you need to know it's Jesus' church. Jesus loves the church. Jesus thought of the church. Jesus started the church. Jesus lived for the church. Jesus died for the church. He gave his life for the church. He resurrected for the church. And one day he's coming back for the church. Jesus loves the church. And he called these disciples to be a part of his church. And he, he, he gave them this call there in the most pagan, secular place. He took them to this place and he said, look around. Look at all these people. They're acting like they are because they're lost, because they're confused, because they're looking for meaning and purpose. They're trying to find truth. And he took them to that place to show them and said, you know what? I'm not just going to stand back and watch them die and go to hell. I'm going to rescue them. I'm on an all-out rescue mission for them. And I want you to join me here at the gates of Hades. And I'm telling you, we will prevail. And he starts his church there in that place with these disciples and says, I want you to be a part of this as I build my church. And then Jesus says to his disciples, I imagine he said it loud enough where all of the pan worshipers could hear. He said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. I think Peter was going, shh, shh, Jesus, Jesus. <laughs> but Jesus wanted everybody to know that whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow after me. And this is the core of our teaching because I believe that verse is what it means to be a follower of Jesus. That verse is, is the picture here of pushing all the chips to the center of the table and saying, I'm all in. William Borden knew that God wanted him to be all in. His dad said, before you go on the mission field, I need for you to go to college. Please just go to college. And he said, I will. He went to Yale. 
When he got to Yale, he wasn't concerned with impressing other people. He was concerned with making an impact. In his class of 1,300 people, William Borden started a small Bible study. By the time he graduated, 1,000 students in his class were in Bible studies like that. He started the New Haven Hope and Mission. He started a mission to alcoholics and to addicts there in the town. And God used his life to impact that campus, to impact a generation. William Borden, upon graduation, a couple weeks before he graduated, he got word that his father had died. Which means that it left him with the family fortune, left him with the business, and he had all of these job offers. And he, uh, he refused them all. Knowing what it would cost him, refused them all. He said he was going on the mission field. And on that day, he opened up the flyleaf of his Bible and he, he wrote down the words, no retreats. Jesus said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny himself, take up his cross, follow after me. First word there is whoever, whosoever. What Jesus is saying is anybody can get in on this. This offer is for everybody. Who? This offers for who? You know what that means? That means young bodies and old bodies, depressed bodies and educated bodies and married bodies and addicted bodies and divorced bodies and dating bodies and jobless bodies and wealthy bodies and poor bodies and successful bodies and homeless bodies and political bodies, different political bodies, different student bodies, even Taylor University bodies can get in on this offer. Whoever... Whosoever, this offer is for everybody. And Jesus said, if you want to come after me, you have to deny yourself. Now, theologians, when they talk about this, they talk about this as self-denial. When psychologists talk about this, they talk about this as delayed gratification. Uh, Stanford University researchers did did, did some research with this in the 60s. And uh, they did did this thing called the marshmallow test. Anybody ever heard of the marshmallow test? Okay, a couple hands. Here's what they did. So researchers took four-year-olds and they put them in a room. And they put a plate in front of them and they put a marshmallow on the plate. And then they told these kids, these four-year-olds, they said, hey, we're going to leave the room. And while we're gone, you've got a decision to make. You can either eat that marshmallow now or you can wait until we get back and then you can have two marshmallows. And then they, they divided all of those kids into two different groups. The grab the marshmallow now kids and the wait for two marshmallow kids. Fascinating stuff. It's remarkable what the research found because they tracked the kids over 25 years. And here's what they found. The kids who said no to self at four grew up more socially competent, more confident, able to make better decisions. They developed higher self-esteem, had higher SAT scores, earned more, and were more able to persist than the grab the marshmallow now kids. The boys who grabbed the marshmallow now were more, were, were more likely to end up in jail in the girls with teenage pregnancy. When my son, my youngest, was four, I was reading about this, and I was at my mother-in-law's house, and I had this idea. I wonder if she has some marshmallows. So I went to my mother-in-law. I was like, do you have any marshmallows? And she said, yeah, how many do you need? I said, one, maybe two. I don't know. <laughs> and then I took Bolton, and I took it. I said, you want to you you help me out with something? He said, yeah. I said, I have to go upstairs. And so we went upstairs to the room, and, uh, and then I was going to do this test, and I was... And I, I thought it'd be a good idea to ask my wife. 
uh, asked for permission on this. And so I went back and we had a conversation. Okay, we're going to do this. And so we, we took him upstairs and I set my phone up in the room to film how he would respond. And, uh, and I got some footage. You guys want to see? All right, here's Bolton and the marshmallow test. Check it out. And as I'm standing outside the room, I'm just telling you my heart's beating through my chest. I'm going, I'm about to find out the future of my child, of his life. I'm going to wreck his life forever right here. And I went in, I was so relieved. I love watching that. I, I, I love watching it. Did you see what he did? What did he do? He got down and he, he got under the table. Because he knew this gets a lot easier if I'm not looking at the marshmallow. Some of us could learn a lesson from a four-year-old, couldn't we? Because there are things in our lives that we're keeping right in front of us. Things that are eating our lunch. Stuff that's taking us out. And if we just remove our, if we just get on our face. If we get them out from under us. Out from in front of us. We say no to self. I I tell you, we live in a culture that doesn't say no to self. People say things like YOLO. That's the stupidest thing I've ever heard in my life. (laughs) You only live once. Screw up your life. (laughs) Jesus said, if if you want to have a fulfilling life, if you want to have abundant life, you got to deny yourself. See, what Bolton did was he had faith in his father that waiting was worth it. And God rewards those who wait on him. And some of you are in a season of your life. I know, I was in college, I remember. It's hard to wait. I haven't always been married. It's hard to wait on the father's plan. It's hard to trust. But can I tell you, it's always worth it. It is so worth it. Jesus said, if you want to come after me, you got to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow after me. Let me ask you a question. Is there a conviction that God has given you that you've compromised or rationalized away? See, discipleship begins with a, with a no to self. As a kid... Um, I didn't really know much about playing cards, and I, uh, I never quite knew why we didn't have a whole lot of cards in the house. When I was an adult, um, my dad told me the story. He said when I was born, um, he wasn't a follower of Jesus. He was, a, uh, he, was a, he was a construction worker, and he was a gambler. He told me that he would gamble entire paychecks. And you can imagine as a father of a small child and as a construction worker that uh, you can get in trouble real quick, and things got real complicated. He said one day he went to church with my mom, and, uh, and he gave his heart to Jesus. He said he just knew right then that God wanted him to give up that weekly game. And he said so he went, he went to the house, and one of the hardest things he'd done, he went to the house, and he told the guys, he's like, hey, I can't, can't play anymore. And the guys thought he was all out, but really he was all in. Is there a conviction that you once had that maybe you've rationalized, you've justified, or you've, you've dismissed? Where is God calling you to say no to self? When William Borden was in college, when he was in your age, he wrote in his journal, he wrote this. I'm going to put it on the screen. He said, my aim is to say no to self and yes to Jesus every time. 
My aim is to say no to self and yes to Jesus every time. No to self is denying yourself. Yes to Jesus is taking up your cross. Jesus said, if you want to come after me, you have to take up your cross. And we use that phrase, I'm just taking up my cross. Oftentimes we go through circumstances and trial and difficulty in life. We go through hard things that we can't control. We say, well, I'm just taking up my cross. But for Jesus, it's more than that. It's stepping into places of risk. It's stepping into places that aren't comfortable. It's giving up things. And the cross is a symbol of love. And the cross is a symbol of sacrifice. The cross is a symbol of surrender. And the cross is a symbol of suffering. And it's when we choose to suffer for another. It's not just suffering that comes on us that we can't control. It's when we choose to give up our rights. And we choose to give up our resources. And we sacrifice of ourselves for the sake of other people. It's when it gets uncomfortable. That's taking up your cross. It's... It's when you go back to apologize, and it's, you don't want to go back to apologize. It's when, it's when you go and you, and, you, and you give of your resources to help a single mom. It's when, you, it's when you make sacrifices to spend time tutoring an inner city kid. It's, it's, when you, it's when you take that time that, you know, you don't have a whole lot of emotional energy. You don't have a whole lot of time, but you take time to listen and just listen and just love person down the hall who's going through some crazy stuff. See, taking up your cross is when you choose to say yes to Jesus and it costs you. And we're trying to teach my kids to say yes to Jesus every time. It's when they're eight, we take them on a mission trip and we take them to, to Nicaragua. When, I remember when Camden was eight. I mean, we want them to see poverty. We want them to experience that. But we also want them to see that God's moving around the world and it's much bigger than their little life. And Camden, on the last day of the mission trip, we were going to a... Uh, a orphanage for disabled children and Camden was nervous and rightfully so because when I took her sister her older sister Raleigh when she was eight and we went to this orphanage um, Raleigh got bit by this little boy got bit by this boy his name was Kevin that's my name that's just weird that just adds to it and so this boy bit her, and uh, a crazy thing, we were on the airplane coming home, and Raleigh's sitting next to this girl that's on, been on a different mission trip, and she's just having a conversation with Raleigh, and she says, where have you been? Raleigh said, I've been on a mission trip. And she said, well, well what, tell me the things you did. Raleigh said, well, I went to an orphanage, and I got bit. I'm like, this is great. This is, you know, this is how it goes. This is what we're going to tell everybody. And she said, no way. She said, I got bit too. Pulls up her sleeve and shows where she got bit. Raleigh just completely normalized the deal. Now Raleigh's like, that's what happens. You just go on a mission trip and you get bit. <laughs> and so we're about to go into this, this, this orphanage for disabled children, and Camden's nervous. I can see her little heart beating through her, through her shirt, and I'm thinking, oh, I got to, okay, as a dad, I'm going to pray with her, and then we're going to go in. And so we prayed this courageous prayer, and then we went into this orphanage. And I went over and tried to find Kevin, and I'm like, I'm like trying to block him, right? And then I realized, where's Camden? So I start looking for Camden, and I see her. And what I saw just grabbed my heart, took a picture of it. Camden was at the feet of a girl, and she was singing, Jesus loves me. That still messes with me. Because that's a picture of a little eight-year-old girl that doesn't have a whole lot of chips in life. But the chips that she does have, she's pushing to the center of the table. No to self, yes to Jesus every time. Let me ask you a question. Is there something that Jesus has asked you to do that you just keep coming up with excuses? 
Is there something he's put on your heart to do? Some place he's asked you to go? Something he wants you to be a part of that you just keep, you just keep saying no? Careful resisting him. There may come a time when he stops asking. He wants to move through you. He would rather move through you than in spite of you. But it requires saying no to self and yes to Jesus every time. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. William Borden knew that call meant to go to Muslims in China. In fact, he went to go train in Cairo to train in Arabic. And when he got there at 25, shortly after arriving in Cairo, he contracted spinal, uh, spinal meningitis. And uh, several days later, it took his life. They buried him there in Cairo, shipped his things back to the United States. His mom opened up the box. She found his Bible. And as she opened up the flyleaf, she saw where it said, no reserves, dated when he committed to follow Christ's missions. No retreats, dated when he resisted all those high-paying job offers. And no regrets, dated a day before his death. How is it that a young man at 25, William Borden, how is it that, that he can say no regrets? It's because he said no to self and yes to Jesus every time. I mean, isn't that a tragedy? That's what people say. Isn't that a tragedy? I mean, the Borden, that he, he gave up his family fortune and he gave up all the things that he had and he, he gave it all up to go on the mission field and die only a couple days after arriving. It's not a tragedy. A tragedy is when you make your little vapor of a life about, about yourself and do something with your life that's all about you. That's the tragedy. See, Borden wasn't a tragedy because Borden went all in. And Jesus said, when you go all in with him, you win. Listen to what he says. He says, for whoever, whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what they have done. Jesus said, one day I'm coming back, and I will reward you. And I will reward those who go all in with me. Those who push all the chips to the center of the table. Great is their reward. So let me ask you a question. Where are you holding back today? The abundant life comes in going all in. Where are you holding back your chips? Maybe it's with your future. Maybe it's with your dreams. Maybe it's with your plans. Maybe it's with resources. Can I really trust God? You can trust him. And his call upon us today is to go all in. His call upon you personally. His call is not general. It's specific. It's for you. And so I want to pray. I want to ask you to bow your heads with me. And I want to pray for two groups of people. First, I want to pray for those who have already said yes to Jesus. Who have already said yes to him, but, but you're holding back. 
Maybe there's a relationship or maybe there's a habit or maybe there's something that not a whole lot of people know about. Maybe it's your plans. Maybe it's a career. Maybe it's some friendships. You know, you know what it is. And today, the Father is calling you. He's calling you to go all in. He's saying, you can trust me. You can trust me. Father, I pray that you would move on their hearts. I pray for those who are holding back from you that they would find that the greatest life comes when we lose ourselves in you and we give you everything. Would today be a day of surrender? Would today be a day of entrusting? Would today be a day of saying, I'm all in with you, God. Have your way with me. I'm pushing everything to the center of the table. I surrender to you. Then there are others in this room, a room this size, who have never said yes to Jesus. You've been around the things of God, perhaps. You've heard of Jesus. You've heard of salvation. You've heard of the life he gives. Maybe you've heard of how he gave his life on the cross so that you could be forgiven, so that you could be set free, so that you could be made new. But if truth be told today, you've never said yes to him. You've never pushed everything to the center of the table. You've never said, I'm all in. And today is your day. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. The reason it says that is because we're not promised tomorrow. We don't know how many days that we have. But while we have days, Jesus bids us to come. He says, come follow me. I'll give you more life than you could ever dream of. I'll give you life eternal and I'll give you life in the here and now. And if today, if today is your day and you, you want to say yes to Jesus for the first time, I want to lead you in a prayer. Do you pray something like this? You just repeat after me. Father, thank you for loving me. Thank you for sending your son Jesus to die on the cross for me. I need your forgiveness. Today, I give it all to you. I surrender my life to you. Come have your way in me. Thank you for saving me. If you made that your prayer today, it's the most important prayer you'll ever pray. It's a prayer that changes everything. Not the words of the prayer, but the cry of the heart. And in just a moment, the band's going to play in a song. And I want to invite, if you're in either one of those groups of people, whether you have said yes to Jesus before, and today you need to say no to self, or today you need to say yes to Jesus in something, today is a day of surrender. And up here in the front, in these baskets, we have these chips that say all in. And as a marker of this day, on the other side they say, no reserves, no retreats, no regrets. And if this is the day that you want to go all in with him, then you come get one of those chips. In a spirit of prayer, maybe you need to find a place to kneel before God because you know that it's a costly surrender. And there are some in this room who prayed the prayer to receive Christ more than receive Christ, to give their life to Christ. 
And I'm going to be standing down here, down front. And you can go public with your decision today by coming up. And I want to shake your hand and, and affirm and give gratitude to God for what he's done in your life today. So if today's first time you trusted Christ, I'd love to lock eyes with you and pray for you. So when the band plays, you sing. Whatever business you need to do, however you need to say no to self or yes to Jesus, you come. If you trust your Jesus today for salvation, come and talk to me. I'd love to see you. So you stand, the band plays, let's worship well. We've been praying for this moment for God to do something special in our lives. God shows up when, those, when we surrender. No reserves, no retreat, no regret. You know the picture we saw of the cave? Jesus said the gates of hell don't prevail. It's not just this moment we've been praying for. We've been praying for the way we live our lives. An attack for Jesus against every stronghold Satan might put up to say, I'm all in. I'm all in. The way I live and the way I love, the way I obey, the way I pray, the way I expect, God, you can count on me. And he says, I'll build my church on that. I'll change the world on that. I'm all in. Lord Jesus, you gave yourself all in so that we might not just have life and not just be blessed, but so that we might take your truth to the world and lost people would find you and find hope. Hurting people would find healing. The world would be different. You've seen our commitment. You know our hearts. May we do more than pick up a chip. May we lay down our lives day by day, deny ourselves daily and take up your cross and make a difference in the world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you.